You are listening to one of my favorite podcasts, The Brain and the Brand Show, with Timothy Maurice. Hi guys, welcome to episode two of our three-part Applied Neuroscience series with neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice, and this is The Brain and Brand Show. If you haven't listened to episode one, I would recommend you go back to the previous week's show before listening to this one. Tara establishes some of the fundamentals of the brain that are important to how you see your ability to apply this to your personal and organization's leadership style. In this second part of the course, we'll explore some really cool ideas that I think you'll find relevant to this current chapter in history. From understanding mental control to operating in spaces of uncertainty, we even touch on the rich subject of navigating diversity and so much more. Make sure you follow Dr. Swart on Instagram, where she shares really simple and inspiring posts, making Insta neuro cool. You can follow her at Dr. Tara Swart. I met Dr. Swart after a talk she gave at Duke University's Corporate Education Lecture Series, and afterwards we began to explore synergies, and soon she became my professor at MIT Sloan in Boston, Massachusetts, where she lectures. I not only mentioned this for context, But what I hope you get from this relationship we have formed is the power of sharing value. Tara and I both want to simplify and give more people access to the power of the brain. And we've been able to establish an extraordinary relationship where we exchange in the center of this mutual passion. I hope you find people you can collaborate with where your synergy produces value for yourselves as well as your target audience. Picking up from episode one, Tara and I jump right into the conversation, speaking about mental control in the midst of conditions where you feel you have very little control. Enjoy. It's really interesting that you've used the word control, because I think that one of the biggest threats to the brain, you know, whether you're a leader of a huge corporation or a team leader or a project manager or a leader of your family or yourself, is the threat is change that you don't feel that you're in control of. So actually, rather than just change, I like to use the word uncontrollability. So, you know, actually, I think people are actually quite good at change. Considering everything that's going on, we're doing okay. But it's when you feel that you can't control it, that starts to threaten your brain. And it starts to actually move the blood supply away from the prefrontal cortex, where you have these higher executive functions, where you can put in the pause, where you can choose how to behave. And it starts to move the blood supply with the glucose and oxygen that the brain needs towards the survival centers where you tend to be more reactive and you tend to sort of be less likely to collaborate because that will use up your precious resources. So just at the time that you need to be at your best, often we're not. Um, And when you talked about control um, for a leader, I think that from a neuroscience point of view, what that actually means is the ability to regulate your emotions and to understand, be aware of other people's emotions and be compassionate towards them, but not get sucked into their emotions. So it's really about managing yourself, having the right level of empathy, but not, you know, not too much emotion involved in any meeting, decision, context. Um, So, you know, having enough, but not too much emotion in a situation and really being so mindful and aware of that. And if you've got multiple demands on you, if you're being criticized in the press, it can be really difficult to make the time and space for that, but it's more vital than ever. 
if you don't really don't have anywhere to turn, what recommendations do you have? Whatever you are, and you're the first to be doing what you're doing, and you're facing enormous pressure, what are some of the things that you can do to relieve this pressure and exercise a bit more control? Look, as I think you know, I have um, clients of, of literally every different color in South Africa. Um, and so I do believe that coaching has been very, very important to these people. The challenges that they're facing, not only superficially in the businesses, but also, you know, you just have to scratch the surface to find out that deep down there's a lot more going on for, you know, people of every race, no matter how successful, wealthy, educated, intelligent they are. Um, so, you know, the thing is, you don't know what you don't know and your perception is your reality. So having an objective external sounding board for your thoughts is is huge. And, you know, obviously senior leaders can afford to have coaching. But if you've got a friend, a confidant, a buddy, a mentor, you know, a friend who's a psychologist, then, you know, these are the sort of great people to talk to. Obviously, family and friends are good. But I always say family and friends should stay as family and friends, not become your, you know, your business coach or your doctor. <laughs> yes, um, yes. You don't want to damage those, you know, really positive, meaningful relationships by sort of talking about work stress all the time. But, you know, you can to some extent. If people don't have somebody that they can really turn to, then I suggest people doing journaling. So even writing down your thoughts and feelings and the results of your decision making is better than just keeping it inside and bottling it up. Um, and, you know, there are some habit tracking apps and things now, which are quite I find quite useful for making sure that you're sticking to the right sorts of physical and mental behaviors that will help to keep you in peak condition um, mentally and emotionally. And then there's things like gratitude lists and accomplishment lists and sort of, um, you know, mindfulness meditation. These are the things that I really suggest for people to be able to press that pause button. It's interesting in the, in the Harvard Business Review article by Adam Waits and Malia Mason that, um, I mean, they, they really argue that leadership is difficult to define. Could that be part of the challenge that people don't even know what to expect from a leader? Yeah, I mean, I think if you asked your listeners now to sort of like, you know, chat in about what's what is a leader, what's leadership, you get hundreds of different answers. You get a different answer from every person. That's absolutely one of the problems. I I, um, I love that article by um, Adam and Malia. I think it's absolutely right, basing on the premise that we don't even have a clear definition for leadership. So how can we apply neuroscience to it? And that's why it's important to break it down into the you know executive functions, the what you actually need to do to achieve what you want, and then say, well, what's the science behind that? How can we make it easier for you to do that? How can you understand yourself better in that regard? When it comes to those who are slightly skeptical of, you know, things like mindfulness and EQ, your book uh, highlights this, the conversation around volition. Can you explain that a little bit more? So that's about your desire to do something. And actually, that comes from some experiments on rats um, where they were split into groups that did forced voluntary and involuntary exercise. So... Um, let me just tell the story in the simplest possible form. So let's take three groups of rats. One group kept in a confined space, didn't do any exercise. One group forced to run on a treadmill for a certain number of minutes or hours per day. And the third group allowed to roam around freely, get on a treadmill when and if they wanted to, stay on it for as long as they wanted to. Okay. 
And what we see is that the two exercising groups get the benefits of oxygenation of the brain. Oxygen is one of the main resources for the brain. But only the group that did exercise when they wanted to um, released a growth factor in the brain called BDNF or brain derived neurotrophic factor. And this relates back to what we were talking about in the first part of these podlets on um, neurogenesis. So that growth factor actually allows us to grow new nerve cells from little embryonic nerve cells. So that's I mean, that's huge. Um, and this was just about exercise. But then, you know, let's extrapolate that to work or life. It means that if you do something that you really want to, that you've got a passion for and a desire for, your brain will actually help you and grow in that direction. You know, it'll it'll make it easier for you, for you to do that. And I think that's got big implications for what projects you put people on or, you know, what tasks you ask teams to do. And, you know, obviously what activities you do in your personal life that boosts your brain, whether it's exercise, social, learning, whatever. Carol Dweck at Stanford University wrote about mind shift, moving from type one mindset to type two mindset, really sort of exploring moving from a fearful position to a growth-based position. Can you unpack that a little bit further? Yeah, so I really like this work by Carol. It's um, she. I think the phrases I like the most that make sense are moving from a fixed mindset to a growth or learning mindset. And um, she sort of puts people in, you know, either of the two categories to start off with. But with the neuroplasticity research, um, it, it's becoming apparent that you can move along the spectrum from fixed to to learning. So the fixed mindset would be, you know, someone who's had very high standards, who's kind of done well at school, got a good job, kind of has to be a bit perfect. Um, you know, it doesn't really like any failure, doesn't like too many challenges because it might show up that we're not perfect. Um, maybe tends to be a bit less honest about any imperfections, quite critical, self-critical. Maybe that leaks out into being quite critical of others. And, um, you know, in her research, it says that people like that are less likely to collaborate. So that's kind of the one extreme. On the other side, in the growth mindset, we have people who believe that, you, you know, there's an opportunity to learn from everything, including failures and challenges. So they will embrace challenges. They will just think, what can I learn from this failure? They're happy to fail fast and often and, you know, try lots of different things. Um, and they, you know, they look at people who are smarter than them and think, wouldn't it be great to be a bit more like that? But they don't feel like that makes them, you know, feel bad about themselves. And they would tend to be more collaborative. So I think that sometimes we're one way at work and a different way at home. And it's just quite good to, you know, just Google some of that research and sort of see what the attributes are and say, well, you know, where am I on this spectrum when I'm at home with the kids, for example? And where am I when I'm on this spectrum in a really stressful work project? And how can I try to stay or move towards being more open to learning and growth and innovation because you know going back to what I said about um ambiguity tolerance and you know uncontrollable change and the fact that our technical skills aren't really going to be enough going forward things like emotional intelligence and mindfulness are actually going to become even more important going forward than they are already and you know, I think before we had evidence from brain scanning, I could understand why people were skeptical about those sorts of things. But the evidence is overwhelming now that mindfulness activities physically change the structure of your brain and that they alter the neuroendocrine system, which is the communication between our glands and our, you know, our hormones and our nerves. So I think that the evidence is too strong now to ignore 
things like mindfulness. Um, the U.S. Marines are using it. And I, I strongly believe that people in stressful leadership positions and just in businesses generally would also massively benefit from it. Thanks so much for listening to episode two. In next week's final episode, we'll go into basic strategies you can incorporate into your daily lifestyle to boost and get the most out of your brain. Please rate the show and comment on whichever platform you're listening. It will mean a lot to me. Thanks again to Dr. Swart. Check out her books, Neuroscience for Leadership, and her latest best-selling work, The Source. Go to www.taraswart.com or email me directly at podcast at timothymaurice.com or tmw at timothymaurice.com. Until next week.